You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. We're glad that you're here to celebrate with us today as we continue in our series on the prophet Elijah. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. We have been in this series about the prophet Elijah. And as we read sometimes, I I know that as you read scripture, when you read in the life of the prophet Elijah and you read things like he is on top of Mount Carmel and he prays and fire falls from heaven, that can seem like a faraway or distant thing, a story that perhaps is separated from us. When you read about kings that send little groups right to his house to kill him in groups of 50, and he calls down fire from heaven, and they are consumed not once but twice. And today, as we will see that in his departure, there is fiery chariots and horses associated with it, sometimes our tendency is to look at the word and to pull it away from ourselves as if this is some gap and distant thing that we can't know or understand. But I want you to know today as we come to the scripture, I would remind you, The scripture is not a story of the people who got it all together, did everything that was right, checked off all the to-do lists, were ready for school to start back, had the calendar full, and everything was good. Instead, it's filled with broken people who needed grace, just like me and you. See, the marvelous thing is that God rescues sinners, weak, needy, and broken. And I am so thankful. And so as we read about these things, the tendency is we say, well, that, you know, that was Elijah. That was, you know, that's in the Older Testament. I mean, the, the book is called Second Kings. That feels like a distant thing, which is why I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit gave us James chapter 5. Because the Bible says that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. You see, this fallen son of Adam had the same enticing, selfish, sinful desires. This Elijah struggled with the exact same temptations that we do. And you say, well, John, it was a little different. Well, perhaps the tools of it were, but the Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you, but such that is common to all men. This Elijah, he was the same one harassed by our enemy. This Elijah, this is the the same one who's trying to figure out his politics of the day and calling people to a message that they did not want to hear. This Elijah that we read about was a man with a nature just like ours, prone to weakness, also needing God's restoring divine grace. So when we read, let us not come to the Bible today and distance ourselves as if we have a God who is somewhere out there in an amorphous state where we don't understand. Yes, our God is transcendent, but he is also imminent and personal and powerful, and there is nothing that our God cannot do. And in his infinite wisdom, he has worked in the lives of people like Elijah, and by his grace, he will work in the lives of people just like you. That's good news today. And so as we read, I I want you to know, as we come to this place, we're coming to the close of Elijah's earthly ministry. And as we come to his earthly ministry's closing, his departure is quite something. 
It is one of those things that he flashes onto the scene, this Tishbite, with strange clothing, furious in confronting the political powers and kings, calling them to repentance. Like a lightning rod, he bursts onto the scene and declares, it's not going to rain for a very, very long time. Going here and there, fed in miraculous ways, fed by ravens of the air, fed even at a widow's house with it seemed like a jar that would never run out of oil, even being fed by the angels of God themselves. And yet his exit is something quite remarkable, which is what I want us to read about today as we consider what was it like for Elijah when he was taken so if you have your Bibles, I hope that you have turned over to 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse number 1. Would you stand with me that we might honor the reading of God's Word together this morning? The Bible says this, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? He answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them and Elisha and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and he cried my father my father the chariots of Israel and its horsemen and he saw him no more he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other and Elisha went over. May God bless the reading of his word today. Receive it as his living and active word. You may be seated. We're nearing the end of Elijah's earthly ministry. 
Genesis 3.16 tells us that God pronouncing the sentence on sin. From the dust you were formed, and to the dust you shall return. Around 6,000 years have passed, and with that being the sentence pronounced by God, many have returned to the dust with one exception, Enoch, who walked with the Lord and was no more. We are not privy to any of the discussion or where the word came from or what it was like, but it seems that Elijah was by divine decree given an understanding that he was about to leave. We could see this because not only did he seem to know it, but even the sons of the prophets would come out and remind Elisha that their master was going to be taken from over them. And so he's making a journey. We pick him up, and he's coming from Gilgal. Now, it's important for us. When we read Scripture, I want you to understand, God wastes no words in his divine economy. Every detail, everything in Scripture is there, and it's profitable, and it's helpful, and it's for our benefit. So it's easy for us to skip over something like they're on their way from Gilgal. But if you are a student of Scripture, you know that Gilgal was part of the pattern that Samuel would not only follow, but the most important thing that we know about Gilgal is when the Israelites finally ended ended the wilderness wanderings, once they crossed over the Jordan, the first place they camped was Gilgal. It was here that they kept the Passover. It was here that they constructed the tabernacle. It was here that for the first time in 40 years, no longer were they fed miraculously by manna, but instead from the produce of the land. And so, Elijah and Elisha are making their journey. And it would seem that there are pictures we are supposed to see. And they make their way, they're headed toward Bethel. Now, as they go to Bethel, Bethel means the house of God. It was here that the patriarch Jacob, in an evening slumber, saw this ladder extending to the heavens and the angels ascending and descending. It was here that the promise was given that there was going to be a promised one through whom all peoples on earth would be blessed. And as they make their way there, some sons of the prophets come out. And they remind Elisha something that clearly he was already familiar with. You know that today is the day. Yes, I know, but let's not discuss it. Sometimes there are things in our lives we prefer not to discuss. Sometimes the prospect of people who have been significant and important in our lives moving on is a little bit hard to bear. It seems that this might be the case with Elisha. And as they come and remind him, he just doesn't want to talk about it. But what do you do when you know the day of your departure from this place? How do you spend your time? What are, what are the things that you talk about as you make your way along the road? Is this older prophet Elijah reminding his apprentice, hey, remember what God did at Gilgal? Hey, don't forget what it means to be at the house of the Lord. Do not forget the promise of redemption. Or did they just talk about some of the things that they enjoyed together? Hey, you remember the meal we shared here. You remember the funny thing that happened there. You remember how we both love to do this activity or that activity. We're not privy to those 
sorts of discussions. But when you know that the end is near, there has to be a difference in the way that you speak to one another. At Bethel, Elijah, it seems, is going to continue perhaps this one last test just to see exactly what Elisha will do. And so again, he says to him, why don't you stay here? The Lord has actually called me now, and I'm supposed to go on to Jericho. Elisha again declares, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not depart from your side. That is the nature of being a disciple. Following no matter where. They make their way to Jericho. People are quite familiar with Jericho. We have songs we sing about Jericho. Or as one kid I knew, they thought it was the Battle of Cherry Coke. But that's another discussion. Jericho. Whereas coming into this promised land of Canaan, this battle fought against a city seemingly impenetrable with an ill-equipped people who were not ready for this kind of military conquest. God's plan was, we're just going to make some laps around it for a few days and then we'll blow some trumpets, giving all the glory to God because certainly man could not take credit for that sort of victory making their way to Jericho once again helpful reminders from people who were not asked hey you know your master will be taken from over you today I know but I'm not ready to talk about it finally making their way to the Jordan the Jordan certainly had significance for every one of God's people Israel They they knew that it was the Jordan that they would cross over to go into the promised land. They were acquainted with what God had done. They were familiar with the way that Joshua had told them, I don't know exactly how we're going to do it, but we're going to take these three days. We're going to give ourselves to sanctification. We're going to give ourselves to getting ready, and then we're going to go over the Jordan, that place where the promise of a land that would be a home No more sojourn, no more wandering, no more wilderness, no more suffering, but a a land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land. And as they come to the Jordan, Elijah does something that is quite remarkable. From a distance, we're told that there are some of the sons of the prophets, and they are observing. We don't know what the distance is. The text seems to uh, indicate that it was pretty far away. And as they watch, Elijah takes his cloak, he rolls it up, he strikes the water. And in a language that reminded everyone around them what God did, something happens. No longer is the water following the course of the riverbed with the slow lilt and gravity doing its bit. Instead, the water begins to act out of character. We read these things, and to the modern mind who wants to empirically define everything, we want to just say, well, you know, there was probably some sort of seismic activity. The thing had dried nearly all the way up, but I just want you to know, faith is not unreasonable. We just believe that if there is a God who created those natural laws, then he can suspend them whenever he chooses. And in the language reminiscent of exactly what happened, it rolled to the one side. It rolled to the other side. But it's not as if the water just disappeared. No, even the ground underneath it, no longer saturated, not muddy, 
but dry ground. As prophets in the distance see the silhouettes of their two friends and leaders make their way across. Going across, Elijah looks at Elisha and he asks him a question. His student is still following, still proving faithful, just like he did all the way back in 1 Kings 19 when he burned everything, sacrificed the oxen, and left his family. He's still faithfully following. And Elijah says, what would you have me to do for you? Now, the request that he makes for us seems a little bit strange. We, we want to maybe assign to it a pride. Maybe there was some sort of selfish ambition in him. I, I want a double portion of your spirit, but don't mistake, this was not a greedy ask from a student who wasn't satisfied. No, this was a scripturally grounded permission for the portion of the oldest son. Found in Deuteronomy, the oldest son would get a double portion of all that belonged to the father. And this would be the one who would carry on the father's business and livelihood and protect their properties and their interests and become the patriarch of the family. There's an intimate relationship between Elijah and Elisha. These 18 years walking and traveling and seeing all that God has done. This is not some mere acquaintance or brief friendship. This is a deep and abiding friendship. This younger one has seen the older one not just preach, but to walk in faith. He has observed what God has done. And as he comes to this place, when he makes this request, he wants Elijah to know, I love you. I will be faithful after you. I will carry on the family business. Will you please give me a double portion? Elijah says to him, you've, you've asked for a hard thing. For you see, this was not in Elijah's purview. Man does not control the Spirit of God. Elijah does not have the right or permission to command the Holy Spirit of God to go and give Elisha a double portion. So instead, what he says is this. I will offer this as evidence that God has granted this prayer. If you see me when I am taken, then this is the answer that you are seeking. Yes, God will give you that. And if you do not, then he has not given it to you. They journey on. I wonder if it got quiet after that part of the conversation. When you know that someone you love is talking in terms of deathbed conversations, dividing assets, the afterlife, what's next, how do we carry on, asking for a double portion. It, it must have been encouraging somewhat to Elijah, but it also must have been a little bit painful. The end is drawing close. From a distance, observing, we don't know exactly what they see, but we know what Elisha sees. In a moment, the appearance of fiery chariots and fiery horses, M military vehicles of fire coming down, because sometimes I think we forget just who God is, and we forget all of his attributes. We know that God is love, and we readily hold fast to that, but I think sometimes we forget that he is also fury, wrath. And a warrior. Exodus 15 tells us that when Moses and the people were trapped and had nowhere to go, that Moses just said to the people, just stand still. The Lord fights for you. 
We know that Joshua encountered a pre-incarnate Christ, and his question was, I'm trying to figure out if you and I are about to do battle. Are you for us or against us? And the answer is neither, for God is for himself. Most glorious and deserving of everything. And so into this moment there with Elijah and Elisha, the two are separated by fiery chariots and horses. Elisha sees it. And he cries aloud, my father, my father, I see. It must have been the cry of that child. Look, I did it. I see. Through the eyes of faith, he can see what God is doing. And Elisha wouldn't lose this, for if you continue to read in 2 Kings, by the time you get to chapter 6, once again, surrounded by the Syrian army, with a servant, very frightened, wondering what to do, Elisha asked that God would open the eyes of his servant. And again, he sees fiery chariots and horses surrounding the house with an entire army rendered impotent and unable to even lift the bow or arrow or sword or shield. We have a great God who does great things. And as Elisha cries out, The Bible says that in a whirlwind, Elijah went up, and he saw him no more. And Elisha takes his clothes, and he tears them into two pieces. He's grieving. You know, I think sometimes for us, we maybe make grief and death a little too simple. Oh, we we know that we're going to miss people when they're gone, but sometimes words that seem a little bit callous and a little uncaring come through that, hey, it's okay as if we're supposed to smile and pretend that we don't miss someone that we've loved and lived with for a long time. Uh, He tears his clothes. He's just witnessed this miraculous departure, and and he's seen with the eyes of faith these fiery chariots and horses, and he's watched as God did exactly what he said he would do, faithful to his promise all the way to the end, and his master's taken up from him. But it doesn't mean it didn't hurt. He tears his garments. I miss my friend. He takes up Elijah's mantle, and he goes back toward the Jordan. I can't help but wonder what the discussion, or if it was silence, or what these, this group of the sons of the prophet, as they have observed, what did they see? What did they think that they saw? They know that there was at least the silhouette of two men, but now there's one coming back. And as Elisha approaches the Jordan, he takes that same mantle, rolls it up, And he asked the question, where is the God of Elijah? And he touches the water. And once again, suspending natural law, not bound by creation, for there is only one creator who is forever blessed, who has the right to command all things and every creature. The Jordan separates. And Elisha comes across. For you see, the answer to Elisha's question is the same as it is today. Where is the God of Elijah? Right where he's always been. Ruling, reigning, commanding, preeminent in glory and power. Only one creator, everything else creation. 
everything living and moving and having its being in him. Everything dependent upon him for its existence. From the great to the small, there is no one greater than our God. And in this moment where we see Elijah the prophet taken in a miraculous manner, sometimes I think we just, we're so caught up in the narrative that we forget the beauty of what we're supposed to see. For you see, when you read the scripture, as you read particularly in the Older Testament, the Bible tells us that all of that is type and shadow, but Christ is the substance. For you see, there would later be one who would, at the Jordan, name a successor. You see, later, John the Baptist would stand in the Jordan with the God-man, Jesus Christ. And it would not just be the water that would open. It would be the very heavens themselves, as the voice would say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You see, the same way that Elijah and Elisha exercise dominion over the water, so too the God-man himself, Jesus Christ, would command the wind and the waves to cease, would walk on the water, would take his creation and suspend its natural order because he's the one who made it. You see, later, there would be one who would not just go through the Jordan, this picture of going through death into a promised land, but there would be a savior, warrior king who had come to dispense with the last enemy, death. And from that cross, having yielded up his spirit, wading into the darkness and torrent of chaos and death, death's waters recede. King Jesus stills the power of death. And after having done so, gathering his own disciples and saying to them, continue to follow me even when you don't see me, ascending into the heavens to be seen. Not for a while. King Jesus. With the angels asking the question of these followers, why are you looking? The same way that he has ascended, he will return. We have no fear of fiery horses and chariots. We don't even have to fear sin and death. Our champion Jesus has conquered all of these things. Oh, dear ones, every, every one of our lives is wrapped up into the one great story that Jesus rescues sinners. Into this moment, yes, Elijah is taken in a miraculous way, but it is a demonstration of God's power. And it is the call to discipleship. Will you follow no matter where he goes? Whether it's Gilgal, whether it's Bethel, whether it's Jericho or the Jordan, or maybe it's through the Jordan. Will you follow when everybody else has questions about what you're doing and why you're doing it? Will you follow in humility to the very end Saying, I desperately need the power of God's Holy Spirit to seal me in this salvation, to keep me and to make me like Jesus. Looking for a promise that cannot fail. The promise of heaven. For there is a deliverer who has conquered death, the first fruits, and hope of a promised land. 
The question for you today is this. First, are you a follower? For a lot of people, we read this book, and it's like I said, it becomes a disconnected set of stories which seem so unrelatable to us. Or it becomes this unrealistic pursuit of something that we feel like we can never measure up to because we've struggled and it just doesn't seem to work. Or or it comes down like a religious hammer and weight that drags us down because the more we try, it seems like the more we fail, and the more we fail, it seems like the more distant people become. Or will we believe that there is a God who instead of leaving us dead in trespasses and sins with no hope, in a miraculous way, would give us himself, God wrapped in flesh, would conquer that last enemy, death, and that when we turn from our sin, die to whatever we have to, that we truly will find life and hope. It doesn't mean that we won't occasionally have to tear our garments in grief, disappointment, and pain. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that people won't ask questions. But what it means is this. We have a guarantee. And we have a champion and a savior and a friend named Jesus. And so the question is, are you following? The second question is, beware. You see, following Jesus is not like this one-time thing where you, you, you signed the card or you, you said the prayer that someone from a stage behind a microphone said. It, it won't be because you were catechized or christened or anything else. You see, there is only way to be reconciled to God, and that is through repenting of our sins and putting all our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And what happens is he changes us. No longer slaves to the power of sin in our lives. One day to be rescued from its very presence. It's a warning to us that we should take heed. We have to keep following all the way to Jordan. Follow no matter what. And here's the news. It doesn't matter whether you've never been a follower or you've been an unfaithful follower or you're just not sure if you're even in the journey, on the journey, or around the journey, there is a God who is good and kind and wise. He does not hide himself from people. He has revealed himself in Jesus and through his word. He is always near the brokenhearted and the suffering. He has no time for religious hypocrites, but for those who know that they are messed up and they need a Savior, he gives grace so that we too can say, My Father, My Father, 